Welcome to the Hierarchy Decides, our first podcast with members reflecting and reviewing albums given as homework from the D'Andrada years. We start off in 1982 with a plethora of members putting themselves forward to review albums from this golden year in metal. Not so much thrash, but metal indeed. Um, If you want to include your homework and you haven't already for 1982, don't worry. We'll just smash it into the next episode. So there's absolutely no need to worry about it. But let's have a sit back and enjoy the reviews from 1982 Thanks to everyone that's put their name forward. Thanks to everyone's hard work. Really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun putting together. I hope this continues because it was a good experience and I hope the episode comes out well. See you on the other side, ladies and gents. All right, folks. So for homework, I got accent. Restless and Wild, and I've only heard Lost the Wall by Accent before. Not really my thing when I was uh, a youngster. Always thought of them as a bit of uh, a Gumby metal band. So I've never heard this album before, so we'll give it a shot and see what I think. Well, the initial attack of Faster Shark sounds awesome, it really packs a punch as it kicks in. And I can see back in 82. You know, just hearing this for the first time and being like, oh fuck yeah. And then the vocals kick in. Don't know how best to describe it. Kind of weird screeching falsetto. Kind of like a cat fight. Then he's also got another set of vocals that he does, which is kind of like overdubbed 80s horn is sort of groaning, which is fucking weird. Oddly enough, over the whole album, after a couple of listens, I'm actually quite enjoying it. But yeah, it, it's alright, it's nothing amazing. Apart from Foster as a shark, the rest of it is pretty much Gumby Metal, plod along. Um, some of it almost sounds like glam, hard rock type of stuff. Apart from vocals, obviously. It wouldn't be out of place on a rat album. All in all, not my favourite genre, but it wasn't as offensive as I initially thought it would be. On our previous experience, I'd probably rate it six and a half out. I had to laugh when I was given Troops of Tomorrow by the Exploited as my homework. Not only are they from my hometown of Edinburgh, but I shared a practice room with them when I was in my first band. So at one point, I was on first name terms with most of them, although the person I knew the least was Watty himself, and he scared the shit out of me. If you're a fan of 1993's Judgment Night soundtrack, you'll already be familiar with three of the songs on Troops of Tomorrow. A Slayer and Ice-T's collaboration on the song Disorder is actually a medley of War, UK82 and Disorder itself. So even though I hadn't listened to this album before, I almost felt like I had. Troops of Tomorrow is a bag of bad attitudes from Scotland's punk crossover kings, largely written by singer Watty and guitarist Big John Duncan, who famously left the band and formed Goodbye Mr McKenzie, with a girl from my school, by the way, called Shirley Manson, but that's another story. The album is rooted in punk, of course. The Exploited would go on to become thrashier sounding in later years, but the faster, aggressive style is already coming through here, with hints of the the direction they would take. Rapist, for example, is thrash before thrash existed. So for us thrashers, there's a lot to like here. The production's pretty good, with lots of decent heavy riffing, and of course, Watty snarling over the top. 
Just listen to the opening riff of track two, Daily News. It's pure metal. Oddly, the title track, Troops of Tomorrow, is actually a cover of a song by The Vibrators. I kind of find it strange that they would choose to name the album after cover, and the song also seems a bit out of place on the album. A slow, brooding song on an otherwise frantic album. It's not bad, just a bit odd. So, to sum up, if you like a bit of fast, aggressive, angry music, which of course you do, otherwise why are you here? This is an interesting listen as a precursor to what would become known as thrash metal. It's an angry eight for me. 1982 homework. Man of War battle hymns is what I get. Now, I've never enjoyed Man of War's music, or for that matter, the whole Man of War image. The whole circuits have followed them and their ability to create still to this day a buzz in the music scene and the live setting simply amazes me anyway it's the album that i'm here reviewing so um not the carry on man of war as it is so here's how i see it or rather how i hear it the first part of this album so tracks one to five let's say are all uninspiring flaccid and limp rock with a metallic feel to it the only positives i could cling on to from the opening barrage of inoffensive and tepid rock was the lead work on the guitars and the vocals, but unfortunately what you need is a little bit more of a cohesive and collective sound to make an album work. There is the continual presence of a cowbell in opener death tune, and it might prove annoying for many people, but this was not annoying. It was nothing really compared to the bland soulless drivel being played out underneath. Now Battle Hymns Part 1 has not aged well at all. Take the album that topped the D'Andrada years for 1982, The Number of the Beast. Now that still sounds fresh, relevant, energetic and engaging. Um, but my thoughts on Battle Hymns might have been different if I'd got into Man of War back in 82 or soon after. So who knows? However, quite how there is such a gaping chasm in quality of these first five songs and the final three is unknown. It's bizarre, really. Battle Hymns Part 2 is different entirely. In Dark Avenger, Man War penned a doomy, slow, brooding beast of a song. And William's Tale, they had a vision of self-belief to put a bass solo on an album, a debut as well, that Metallica, of course, were heralded as visionaries when Anesthesia Pulling Teeth appeared on Kill em All one year later. Then you've got the album closer, the epic title track. An excellent, rousing, inspiring call to arms that fit in climax to, well, at least the second part of this album. Could the final seven minutes be where Battle Metal was created and ultimately perfected? Very possible. And it's down to these last three songs that I would give Battle Hymns another listen. I would, of course, be skipping the first five tracks. And we pulled our trousers up and it was absolutely fine. Oh, hello. Didn't see you come in there for a second. It's Mr. Carl Black reporting for the Thrash Metal album of the Fortnite Club, doing my homework promptly. I was assigned MSG Live at the Budokan, a double live album, um, which I always think is good because those are the rules. If you're going to have a live album, it should be double. <laughs> no sleep to Amersmith. Um, and it should be the best of the rest of all your albums, which I believe this one is. Now, Live at the Budokan always makes me think of grandiose. Oh, look at us. We are so far flung and cultural. We're playing in Japan. But I forget which band broke the myth. Budokan is basically a gymnasium. So it's kind of like Live at the Gymnasium. 
The music is fine. I'm not going to talk about too much about the music because there's not really that much to talk about it. It's okay rock and roll, heavy metal, as you would expect. The riffs are pretty good. The drumming is absolutely pounding. I believe Cozy Powell's on this one. And the singing is of a rock and roll style, which is no problem at all, really, and very listenable. Listen to it in all one go, no problems. But I just found that with MSG, UFO, the Scorpions, all of these sort of Anglo-German bands are all kind of interlinked with one another. And within all of their discography, so maybe over uh, 40, 50 albums over those various bands, there's probably two or three albums worth of really good songs. For example, I think it's uh, MSG who had Lights Out over London, I think the, the song is called. But it's going to take someone to go through and pick out all of those songs for me to listen to. The only person that can do that is me, and I'm not going to be doing that anytime soon. So I'll have to content myself with some of the nuggets that I do pick up. A few of them were on this album, Live on the Budacom, but a few far between, really. It was okay. I think it's a six, which is just slightly above um, lift music but it's okay it wasn't too bad i listened to it and it was all fine and there's no problem with the guitaring obviously mr michael shanker can absolutely rip but it was okay just an okay from me recorded at three locations on their 1982 uk tour highway song live captures the raw energy of southern hard rockers blackfoot in their prime Opening with Gimme 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 from the Tom Catton album, this is a record that generates sweat as you listen to it. Although Blackfoot had been around for over a decade in various guises when this album was recorded, it was the previous three records, Tom Catton, Strikes and Marauder, that had made them one of the most popular bands of their genre. But unlike Skinnerd, the Almond Brothers and many others of the Southern brand, Blackfoot preferred their music hard and fast. Highway Song Live features a rabid crowd who go crazy from the opening moments and give it large at every opportunity. Listen to the way the Hammersmith masses roar the chorus on Good Morning. The Edinburgh crowds cheer as Ricky Medlock refers to the Scotland rock and roll maniacs we've got in here tonight. Or the closing Geordie choir singing Away the Lads at the end. But as great as the crowd are on this record, the main reason Highway Song Live is such a brilliant album is because of Blackfoot themselves. Ricky Medlock spits the lyrics out with such energy that you expect his tonsils to end up in the front row. His sheer charisma is evident throughout, and one reason why the man who played drums for Leonard Skinner in the early 70s has been one of Skinner's main guitarists for over a quarter of a century. The pace on Highway Song is fantastic, with the dual guitar work of Medlock and Charlie Hagrid, possibly the tallest guitarist in rock, blistering. There are solos galore, fierce, fiery and laced with a bluesy undercurrent that hits the right spot every time. Backed by the engine room of bassist Greg T. Walker and drummer Jackson Spires, this is the classic Blackfoot lineup at its magnificent best. I defy anyone not to move as the band explodes out of the traps with Gimme Gimme Gimme. The short blast of John Lee Hooker's rolling and tumbling gets you dancing. Or listen to the emotion-filled climax with the title track, the legendary Highway Song. This is an album I loved to death in 1982. I still play it regularly today, and the band are one of my few regrets. I was just a little too young to catch them on this tour, and they didn't play in Cardiff. And by the time I could see them, the lineup had hemorrhaged, and UK shows were non-existent. But it's a simply magnificent 
and permanent memorial to one of the most underrated hard rock bands of all time, Highway Song Live, highly recommended. Andrew Matthews Homework, Rush Signals For my homework, I was given Rush Signals, a band I have little love for. Musically it was proficient, the drumming in particular, otherwise it was not offensive, but I would be happy to never hear this again. Again, thanks for everyone who partook in this exercise. Our next Deandrade years is... 2016 we have about 56 albums i will be asking you for your random number when we ask the what have you been listening to post on monday um everyone is free to partake if you fancy it please do so um thank you again for all your reviews <laughs>